Welcome to the Wellness Plus Podcast, featuring interviews with health and wellness professionals empowering you to take control of your health and happiness. Feel better, look better, and live better today by subscribing right now for new episodes every week. The Wellness Plus Podcast is brought to you by wellnessplus.tv and made possible by the generous donations of Psyche Truth Patreon supporters. Now here's your host, Certified Holistic Health Coach, Karina Rachel. Hello and welcome to the Wellness Plus Podcast. I'm your host, Karina Rachel, and I'm joined today by Rebecca Powers. She is the Executive Director of the Center for Natural Living, and she is also the Chief Manifester of Perma Powers, her own permaculture business. So Rebecca, thank you so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to discuss all of the exciting projects and topics and dive a little deeper into um, what I'm attempting to design and create here as a agent of social change in the realm of permaculture and whole system design. Yeah. So can you maybe just talk a little bit about maybe what is natural living to you and why is this something that um, maybe people should consider trying to live a more natural lifestyle, both for their own health and for the greater good, so to speak, of the environment, the community, etc.? Well, natural living to me, I think we all would need to take a little step back to accept this rather radical approach. But to me, it's this um, attempt to create harmony within one's own self, one's own spiritual self-actualization, and also harmony with the environment. And that's everything occurring around us. Um, Of course, our planet, our water, our land, and all of the living beings that are connected within this beautiful ecosystem. And natural living is a step back from things that are perhaps convenient and taking a um, approach toward sustainable regenerative practices Mm. that are not processed and that are more organic and whole and complete. Mm -hmm. So kind of looking at our modern lifestyles, you're you definitely kind of touched on that thing, which is the convenience. So we could talk about how convenient it is. Um, things like fast foods, prepackaged meals, everything from um, products that are designed to make our daily chores and our daily lives easier. Uh, but a lot of times those come at a cost to the environment and sometimes even to our health. Yes. <laughs> are there any maybe like specific examples? Uh, maybe like what were the first things that you adopted in trying to live more of a natural lifestyle? Well, don't get me wrong. I love modern day amenities and I am definitely one for, um, you know, incorporating the free market and um, indulging where it is needed or necessary. Um, But a few things that I did to start this process was that I uh, moved to a 50 acre farm so that I could be more in tune with nature and have a deeper connection to Uh, the environment. I saw that the um, lifestyle I was living with, the constant uh, pings, dings, noises, and distractions in town was really taking away from my ability to look within and discover what exactly it is I intend to create and design for myself and for um, my work in this world. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I created a raised bed garden while living um, in this property. And uh, the real reward for me was creating my first meal with food that was harvested from the garden. And uh, that's, that's something that I think for me, at least was really profound was to see that there are options that are more rewarding than just purchasing it from a grocery store like HEB or even a local farmer's market. Although, of course, it's great to have um, support for the local economy. There was this liberating feeling when um, I was able to create my first dinner from the food that had been planted from seed. Right. Yeah. You really are truly connected to every step of those plants growing and maybe encountering the different obstacles like too much rain, too little rain, all those things that, mm-hmm. you know, when we're not growing food, we're really out of touch with all of that. And then we yeah. hear about things like, you know, pesticides being sprayed on on crops and, you know, different chemicals that might be used. There's all of these things that I think, 
you know, and myself included in this because I'm not growing my own food right now. You know, we get very uh, maybe detached from the things that are going into the food, the whole process of farming and growing the food in the first place. Um, so I can definitely see where, you know, that feeling of supporting an organic farm and that feeling of comfort that I get knowing that I'm eating food that was grown um, in the healthiest way possible with uh, minimal exposure to weird pesticides and things that are really, really common in the conventional agriculture. Um, so then to take that even one step further and actually have been growing that food yourself, um, what a wonderful way to really be connected to the things you're eating and even oh, yes. grow your appreciation for all of those things it's even more. It's great for your spirit and great for your pocketbook. <laughs> and so it's a beautiful thing. And there's also this cycle. Like once you're finished eating and if you're not um, in a mainstream sort of approach where you would just, you know, throw it away, well, where's away? Um, where I am living now, I've come to really cherish composting mm -hmm. because those food scraps are then put into the compost pile, which then is going to create rich soil, which is almost as precious as gold in so many circumstances. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas before when I was, you know, living this convenient lifestyle in town, I would throw away food just with other scraps and it's what going to be transported to a landfill and then what happens? For how mm -hmm. many years does it sit there and never break down? And it's just very, it's very liberating to be able to put it back into a a compost pile and reuse the soil and have mm -hmm. that nice cycle of life and to be living that and setting that example for myself and for others. Mm -hmm. So what are some other uh, natural living, I guess, um, practices that you adopted early on? Well, something that really helped me get into this whole lifestyle were the farmer's markets here in Central Texas. Uh, for about half a decade, I was selling a, a natural uh, oral hygiene product that then became a full product line. And through my experiences at the farmer's market, I learned about um, growing your own food, but also utilizing uh, products that were holistic and that um, you could apply topically or ingest internally. And so it was like this whole different approach to living where there were like essential oils and products that were really beneficial for for health, but didn't have any negative ramifications on the environment either, mm -hmm. and um, that served a lot of different functions. And so um, that was probably the start of it for me. Uh, when I started Permapowers, my desire was to share um, natural health products because I was exposed to this industry that is just booming and expanding. Mm -hmm. And it's really inspiring to see these companies that are not only using very... Um, efficient and sustainable ingredients, but also their packaging. Like some of these companies are utilizing like wind energy to power their manufacturing processes, or they're using um, packaging for their products, like the paper and the, you know, BPA-free plastic or mm. glass or whatever it is that they're using to hold the product within. Um, I'm kind of going off on a tangent there, <laughs> but just the natural products industry was really inspiring to me. And, um, and it is definitely something that has pointed me in this direction to see, yeah. like, oh, my gosh, I can still have amazing lotion and it can also have really clean ingredients. Right. And just in general, you know, I think that, um, you know, as you mentioned here in Austin, we have a lot of, you know, farmers markets, holistic health type businesses and products. Um, and it really... Um, kind of highlights the fact that you can meet all of your daily needs with products that not only are completely healthy for you and the planet, um, but even in the way that those products are produced is done in a really mindful way that is also just beneficial all around. You know, yes. when people are consuming uh, you know, highly processed foods or products that are made um, by those larger manufacturers and big factories and all of that, we kind of, you know, don't really have a clear idea of what kind of impact those things have on the world around us. Yeah, it's so, a conscious <laughs> capitalism sort of approach. And right. so it's not meant to extract, but rather to give back, but also provide value to the community. Mm -hmm. It's inspiring. And it's not just happening in Austin. I think companies all over the world, um, there's a great example that is 
um, guayaki herba mate. We were talking about herba mate earlier today. But they have market-driven restoration. And so they're um, enhancing the local economy by planting um, everything that is needed for the herba mate to be produced and grown. But then they're also giving back to the community mm-hmm. and they're replanting. And there's reforestation efforts. And so it's actually adding to the community rather than extracting from. But yes, there's so many cool companies in Austin that are in this sort of cycle of giving back to the community, great products, but also doing so in a groovy way that is sustainable mm-hmm. and not um, imposing any negative externalities on anyone. And then can you talk a little bit more about the Center for Natural Living and kind of the work that y'all are doing uh, and kind of researching these different communities that are popping up all around the world (laughs) and kind of maybe what is the future um, of this kind of more natural lifestyle? The Center for Natural Living is something that brings a huge smile to my face, and I'm really (laughs) excited to speak about it. Um, This has been sort of a pet project for me the last few years. Um, We were just focusing on conferences. um, And then five years ago when it was actually started, there was um, like a docu-reality show, and they actually had a farm here in um, East Austin. And um, anyhow, here we are today, and we've really taken it to another level. Um, we are researching, but also visiting sustainable and autonomous communities all across the world who are not only leading by example, but are doing so in style. These people are building homes that are um, utilizing passive energy techniques. Um, they're utilizing permaculture design for their gardens and for um, a whole system sort of approach to not only the humans living on the communities, but all of the the entire ecosystem. Mm-hmm. And um, it's not just eco-villages, it's also towns. Like, for instance, the Center for Natural Living um, visited Charan, Mexico, which is a town of about 18,000 inhabitants, and they have just an incredible story. Um, so to have our... Um, organization go and visit them and and visit with them and see their best practices and how they're incorporating entrepreneurship and regenerative agriculture and the reforestation efforts. Mm -hmm. They um, basically in 2011 had a revolution and they kicked out um, not only politicians who were in collusion with the cartels, but these illegal loggers who are chopping down their forests and jeopardizing their springs for, for, you know, water and resources. And it was something that was so horrible, that was so just mind-blowing to the people living there that they stood up and said, basta ya, enough is enough. And the women actually read the re- uh, led the revolution. So, wow, to visit them, that profound story and seeing how they have their decentralized community structure now based on consensus and it is truly inspirational. Mm -hmm. Um, So I feel really good about the work the Center for Natural Living is doing. We're telling stories of communities like Charan. Um, We have a handful of other eco-villages and um, communities we'll be visiting in 2019. And along the way, we will be producing educational media called Sovereign Living, which is um, essentially telling the stories of these human beings who are living this lifestyle right Mm -hmm. now with modern-day amenities, but doing so in a way that is really harmonious with um, nature and, of course, respecting planet Earth as the first partner. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of... um, you know, a lot of different ways that we're starting to become very, very um, clear on the fact that the way that we're currently living, and especially a lot of these, you know, larger cities um, or cities that have a lot of factories in them, we're really able to see the toll that that ends up taking um, on the environment. We could talk about the quality of the water, the quality of the soil, and then that, that also comes at a huge cost to people's health. So you end up with this scenario um, that even though the things, you know, so somebody could say, oh, I don't really care about the environment. Well, you can't really not care about the environment because yeah. that is the, you know, the the bottom line, the bottom factor of our health. <laughs> you know, yes. how well can we live if we're depleting our soil? Exactly. How well can we live if we're, you know, putting a, a time limit on how long a certain area will be able to be giving us resources? It's in our best interest to adopt these practices, um, businesses to utilize renewable energy rather than fossil fuels. 
um, it's in the best interest of humanity as a you know, just the future of our planet and our species to realize that there is going to come a tipping point where we no longer can operate the way that we have since the Industrial Revolution. And it's not going to be something that is tipped over by policy or law. This is something that humans need to voluntarily realize that mm. there are better ways to operate um, and create value within this world. And we can do it in our own personal lives and we can do it with our companies and through conscious capitalism, through better practices. And um, I think it's inspiring. We're in a new realm of human consciousness right now. We have the technology. Mm -hmm. We have solar panels. We have battery packs that can store the energy. We have wind energy. Um, there is no reason to prevent the um, onset of human flourishing and respecting the environment rather than extracting so much from it and right. so on a very l small scale to do it in our own life by um, having that attachment to land and community but on a larger scale entrepreneurs and business owners and you know uh, there's going to come a time where people realize that hey rather than driving the gas guzzler let's drive a prius <laughs> or a tesla you know or ride a bike <laughs> or ride a bike yeah um, so on that note can you maybe outline you know what are some uh maybe practices that people can start adopting into their lifestyle to kind of be contributing to this more um sustainable and kind of seeing the long-term, so to speak, the long-term image of how we can live our lives in a more sustainable way? That's a really big question. <laughs> I think there's a lot of different ways that that can occur. Um, I think we're on a bridge right now and we're you know, trying to walk over to this other side of like utopia or what it could be. But like while we're walking over that bridge, a few small things that we could do, I think um, transportation, like really being weary of using so much gasoline in our cars. Like you said, ride a bike or walk there. Mm -hmm. There's this amazing band called Rising Appalachia. They have a song <laughs> that has lyrics about like, come on, man, just, you know, walk where you're going. Let's do those little things like that. But also uh -huh. <laughs> planting your own food or like going and volunteering at a local farm. There's this amazing um, permablitz program here in Central Texas. And on a weekend, if you want to go do like a work trade, you work all day. And then in the evening, you have a nice meal from the food on the community. And then you kind of party with everyone, stay the <laughs> night, wake up the next day and do a little bit more work on the project. Um, so yeah, there's definitely examples of ways that we can implement these changes in our own lives. Uh, I think the most effective is voting with our dollar, buying products that um, you know wow, this has, this is non-GMO, this is organic, this is local. You know, you didn't have to drive halfway around the world made in China to receive this product. This mm -hmm. was made in Austin or this was whatever, wherever your town is. Um, using reusable bags at the grocery store. We don't need to be forced to use reusable bags. It's, you know, kind of a no-brainer to not have those little flimsy plastic bags. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, voting with your dollar, I think, is an incredibly effective way. If companies see that there's a trend toward um, natural health products or toward supporting local um, companies, then mm -hmm. clearly they will want to get in on that. Right. And so, yeah, we have a lot of power with, with how we spend our money and our time and what we put our focus toward. Mm -hmm. We'd like to briefly interrupt this interview to remind you that this podcast was made possible by listeners just like you. Become a supporter at patreon.com slash psychetruth, where you can watch the video version of this episode and all our podcast episodes. Plus, you'll gain access to over 500 videos of exclusive content, including premium courses and behind-the-scenes peaks. Help us keep this information free by visiting patreon.com slash psychetruth. That's patreon.com slash P-S-Y-C-H-E-T-R-U-T-H. And then, you know, something you had said earlier, um, talking about, you know, adopting a more natural lifestyle, and it's great for your pocketbook. Um, can you maybe talk about, um, you know, because when I first, you know, kind of recommend to people things like, you know, buying organic, this idea of voting with your dollar, which I'm very much on board with. You know, a lot of people will say, oh, I don't have the money to, or I can't afford organic food. I can't um, afford to 
XYZ, whatever it might be, there's oftentimes that, you know, maybe it's just an excuse, but a lot of times it's a very valid reason if you just can't afford it. Um, so can you maybe talk a little bit about ways that living this natural lifestyle can actually save you money um, and any tips that you have of how you can adopt these more natural practices in a more um, pocketbook friendly way? <laughs> So every single month, if you're spending money on your electricity, that's because you're tapped into the central elect, you know, centralized electric grid. Um, imagine investing in solar energy or wind energy for the your home site and never having to pay that forever expense. Mm -hmm. um, I understand, again, that we are on the bridge right now. We're not to the other side, and there's a transition happening, I believe, um, in where we're at right now in this realm of um, transformation, really, for humanity. Um, but imagine owning your own energy source and not needing to always pay every single month into this mm. centralized electric grid. It's better for your pocketbook in the long run, I guess, right. is a way to look at it. Um, likewise with gasoline, you know, if you were driving a Tesla or some sort of electric vehicle, imagine not having to spend $60 to fill up your gas tank mm -hmm. every week, or maybe even more than that, depending on how frequently you drive. So I think there is that like upfront investment to save in the long run. Mm -hmm. um, but like back to gardening, you know, that's kind of like growing your own money. Like it <laughs> depends, of course, on your environment. But I was really impressed with how amazing squash grew. It's like, wow, this is like literally growing your own dinner. You, you don't have to go work for cash, Federal Reserve notes, and then go buy the ingredients. They're Growing in Once your backyard. You the ads, it's there for the taking. It's beautiful. Right. I also think that there's that, um, I don't know, that element of like getting your hands dirty. You know, when you really start to grow a garden or even just having little, you know, potted herb plants that you grow in your home or in your apartment, you know, even if you don't have a yard, this idea of growing your own food or even just growing a little bit of your own food, like herbs or tomatoes, very like easy things you can grow indoors. Um, getting your hands dirty, connecting with the dirt, yes. you know, that is something yes. that maybe some of us haven't even done since we were like little tiny kids. Yes. Uh, but interestingly, when you do get back in the garden and you're connecting with the earth in that way, connecting with the dirt in that way, um, you're right. There's definitely something very uh, nurturing about that just in and of itself. And especially when we talk about how um, the modern society and all the technology and Wi-Fi and whatever it might be, you know, all of those things are very um, contributive to things like anxiety, trouble sleeping, just being out of that circadian rhythm. Yes. So something like, you know, gardening or just having your hands in the dirt, having that connection to the earth, I think is going to give people such a powerful um, mood and emotional benefit that is sometimes unanticipated. Um, but it's definitely something that I think so many people would benefit from um, and something that's just fun and, you know, makes you smile, makes you laugh. Um, growing your own food would be a great activity to do with your family or your kids. We know kids love playing in the Yes, 100%. <laughs> um, so that's just kind of one of those, I guess, like secondary benefits that might come from taking on one of these practices. Oh, yes. And even if you don't have your own land or if you don't have a place to plant at your own home site, um, like we were speaking about earlier, uh, Johnson's Backyard Garden, for instance, you can go there and volunteer. Mm. And then when you're finished helping them, they help you out by letting you take a bag full of things home, mm -hmm. you know, so... There, I, I think that's easy to have excuses to not, but the connection that you feel, it's, it really is therapeutic. Right. And it's bonding, like you said, with your kids or your family or your community. It really feels good. And there's this um, appreciation for the food that's um, nourishing you mm. that I think is overlooked or misplaced when you just go to Wendy's or McDonald's or something. There's no connection to the cow that sacrificed its life for you to consume it or, mm. or even an understanding that that cow had a happy happy life or right. like where did this lettuce come from you right. know there's like this disconnect to what we're putting into our bodies that becomes us mm -hmm. Whew. 
Yeah, <laughs> it's overwhelming a little bit. <laughs> yeah, you're definitely right that this element of connecting with people, whether it's our family, our community, um, is definitely something that I feel is largely lost, especially living in a big city. Um, so when you talk about you know, sustainable living or Center for Natural Living. Um, we hear the terms thrown out sometimes like eco-village or like living off-grid. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Maybe like what an eco-village is? Yes, I'm happy to. Um, in fact, I had the pleasure of meeting Robert Gilman um, this past October. I went to a regenerative collab and um, he was there as a speaker um, at this amazing place called Arcosanti, which calls itself an unintentional community. Um, rather, they prefer the term a permanent construction site. Um, but in general, an eco-village, and I'll read his exact definition so that I don't misrepresent, um, but it's essentially a human-scale, full-featured settlement in which human activities are harmlessly integrated into the natural world in a way that is supportive of healthy human development and be can be successfully continued into the indefinite future. And so it's a way of, in my paraphrasing of this, in my <laughs> experience visiting a handful of eco-villages, including Earth Haven, which is a beautiful 300-plus acre property in um, Asheville, North Carolina, or just outside of it, rather. It's a way of coming together in an intentional manner that is paying respect to the land, recognizing that the land is the first partner, mm -hmm. and working within it rather than against it. And so you're working with nature in a regenerative way for your energy consumption needs, which goes back to the off-grid sort of perception. Um, again, it is liberating to um, have your own energy produced, which we have an abundance from the sun and the wind. And at Earth Haven, for instance, they um, utilize the river that flows through for their mm -hmm. energy needs. Uh, they also had a microgrid. But um, the most challenging approach really for an eco-village that I've experienced is the human equation. Because we are imperfect beings um, who you know, sometimes have conflict. So how do you have an intentional community where um, if there is a conflict or there's a disagreement, there's an opportunity for everyone to communicate, mm. perhaps even utilize nonviolent communication to deepen our understanding of one another, which then strengthens our relationship, strengthens our bond, and improves our ability to steward the land and work together and cooperate. Mm -hmm. And so, um, yeah, so Eco Village to me is a opportunity for people to say, I'm going to choose my neighbors and my neighbors are going to have a similar like-minded um, view or perception of the world so that we can cooperate with one another mm -hmm. to bring massive value to our community, to one another, to enhance our local economy and to create and design something sustainable and beautiful together mm -hmm. for our children, for our children's unborn children, for individuals who want to hop in and do a workshop for two weeks or maybe over the weekend to learn how to um, practice permaculture or to have that experience getting your hands dirty. <laughs> and so they're um, popping over up all over the world. Um, the Global Eco Village Network is an amazing resource, as is the Fellowship for Intentional Community. Um, and the Center for Natural Living is visiting a handful of eco-villages, but we're not totally tied to just that term. So okay. there's other lingo out there, like intentional communities. And so to us, we like to use a more generic sustainable and autonomous communities initiative is, is our particular project so mm -hmm. that we can visit towns or eco-villages, mi micro and macro, where humans are living this lifestyle and doing so in a really regenerative, admirable way. Mm -hmm. And then does that kind of also tie in with this concept of like minimalism or, you know, I hear a lot of people talking about like tiny houses and um, just kind of trying to move away from this really like materialistic uh, society that so many of us have um, really grown up in and maybe maybe been in our entire lives um, where there's a lot of emphasis on like accumulating lots of things. I feel like a lot of the um, 
you know, kind of modern, <laughs> modern communities, there's a lot of like wasteful type of behaviors. And especially when you think about a big city and what the downtown area is like, usually it's filled with garbage. It's, you know, not taken care of. Um, there's just kind of this general decline. And then to contrast that with one of these more intentional communities where every single person there is really doing every single thing they do with the intention of providing positive positivity to the other people that are co-inhabiting, you know, being positive towards the environment. And uh, just in general, you can really like see that stark contrast, I feel, between like what this really materialistic kind of modern convenient society is creating and how that's actually manifesting um, compared to a place where people are just living with a lot more consciousness on uh, the way that their actions affect the world around them. It's certainly not my desire to uh, condemn people who are living a lifestyle of materialism or um, purchasing items uh, to fulfill their needs. I think there's a detachment. And when one buys things to fill that void is perhaps what is explaining that behavior. Mm. Um, perhaps it goes back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Um, I noticed when I moved um, off grid uh, on my the 50 acre farm that I'm living on right now, the desire to purchase things for fulfillment and for happiness vanished. I felt a connection to the land and I felt that I was receiving my meeting my needs and receiving value in a way that allowed me to kind of detach myself from the matrix, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so I definitely don't want to condemn that sort of behavior, um, but I want to understand it. Why are people feeling the need to buy things to to seek fulfillment or happiness. Mm. And I think that when you have community and when you have the ability to grow your own food or get your hands dirty or be outside and soak in the sun and vitamin D, um, your needs are met in a different way where you don't feel that you need or want even to go eat at a fast food place or, you know, go shopping at the mall to buy a bunch of things because there's this different approach to fulfillment. Mm. And so maybe it's just a rebalancing and like realigning and readjusting with Mm -hmm. what it truly is we want and desire in this world. And I think most people want connection with one another, connection to the food that they eat. Mm -hmm. And um, unfortunately, the rat race nine to five sort of lifestyle prevents many people from experiencing that. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that unfortunately the the stress that comes with kind of uh, keeping up with the Joneses, so to speak, in our modern yeah. society, um, and just being able to pay your bills week to week, you know, yes. that creates such a huge amount of stress on people um, that I think to offer this idea of um, natural living or an eco village or however, whichever term is most like resonant for you, that that can be such a wonderful remedy to just those stresses of daily life. And so much of just being able to kind of get out of that rat race a little bit to be able to um, have a sense of contentment that maybe we're not familiar with, or maybe we thought we could only get from a shopping spree or from having the nicest car on the block or whatever it may be. I think, too, though, out of necessity, people are stepping back and are buying the tiny houses or living a more minimal lifestyle because they need to. Like, for Mm. instance, in Austin, it's become so expensive to live. Most are pushed out of the city. But if you are close, um, when you're spending already $1,200 on rent, what if that was going toward your tiny house payment so that in three years it was totally paid for? So a lot of people are starting to live that lifestyle, I think, out of necessity. But in a way that's super groovy. Like these tiny houses are you know, they're doing more with less. And Mm -hmm. I think um, there's a lot of liberation of getting rid of things that you don't need. And then having this um, opportunity to spend more time doing the things you really enjoy and that really light your soul and heart on fire. And Mm -hmm. um, so when you are living a more minimal lifestyle, it provides you an opportunity to explore that, which you maybe didn't have an opportunity to when you were doing the nine to five grind, if you will. Right. Are there any, um, I guess, maybe tips on 
minimalism <laughs> that you could share or, you know, aside from just this idea of like getting rid of the stuff that we don't use or need, <laughs> things that people could start integrating to maybe enjoy some of those benefits while they're still living in the life they're living. Tips to minimalism. <laughs> this is hard because we all have our own niche that we like love, um, like me, for shoes. How do you get rid of shoes? They're so amazing. I don't know. Um, <laughs> my tips, what do you need versus what do you want? Um, but also, like, I think at the end of the day, it's based on the individual and it's completely unique. Mm -hmm. So what are you willing to say goodbye to so that you can open the door to something else? Right. Um, I think most people want to free up their time. And in order to do that, maybe they can sacrifice some possessions. Um, but I think overall, it's a reshifting of your perspective on things. And that allows you the freedom of letting go, mm -hmm. if you will. Mm -hmm. The podcast you are listening to was brought to you by wellnessplus.tv, a subscription service empowering you with everything you need to take control of your health and happiness. Sign up for your free trial today to watch the video version of this episode and all our podcast episodes. Plus, you'll gain access to our extensive library, including hundreds of follow-along yoga and fitness courses, massage therapy tutorials, weight loss information, guided meditations, educational health videos, and so much more. Feel better, look better, and live better today by visiting wellnessplus.tv. I think there's also a certain element that, um, you know, we just get really comfortable in our groove, you know, comfortable in the familiar. Um, so a lot of times we're just kind of doing things out of habit, not necessarily because we particularly want to do it this way or whatever. It's just the only way that we've ever done it. So, yeah. you know, going back to that example that you had mentioned earlier, like uh, the reusable grocery bags. And so we've seen this huge trend for, you know, grocery stores to actually like stop giving you bags or they've got the signs in the, you know, parking lot, like, hey, remember to bring your bags. Yeah. Um, and, Nudging. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and it's just kind of one of those interesting things where it's like you could have been reusing, using reusable grocery bags all along. Exactly. Um, but to a certain extent, and I'll be honest, myself included, I did just until somebody started saying reusable grocery bags, I thought, oh, yeah, that's genius. Why wasn't I doing that before? Yeah. Um, so I think that that's just kind of this, uh, you know, example of something that can have a really big impact. You know, you think about how many grocery bags we, you know, each person ends up with over the years. Well, if we could all cut back and start using something reusable instead, mm -hmm. um, that's just a great example of one really simple thing that we can be doing and feel really good about doing um, that really doesn't super impact our lives. It doesn't make yep. your life that much more difficult or whatever. So <laughs> practices like that and suggestions and specific topics uh, for the Center for Natural Living, we uh, had these interactive workshops called Amaji Living. Amaji was the first written um, word, well, hieroglyphic for the concept of freedom. It literally means return to the mother. Um, but we host these workshops, and the next one will be at Paleo FX here in Austin in April. And different speakers will come in on topics and provide lifestyle tips or um, speak about like net zero home design and how you can finance one today or like tiny houses yeah. um, and kind of offer a glimpse of like, hey, these things exist already and here's how to break out of your usual pattern. And if you would like to adopt this other method or if you see that this behavior, you know, lifestyle may benefit you, this is how you do it. Awesome. And so that's something else that we're focused on too, because like you kind of, we're just describing, it's like you see the signs for certain things, or but what actually gets you to live it and do it? And mm -hmm. where's the incentive to do it? Right. And so sometimes it takes an expert to come in and say, hey, here's a cooler way. Right. Or just that <laughs> like constant reminder to help mm -hmm. you get out of your habits. You know, if you're in the habit of doing this thing this way, how do we just, you know, start to transition you over into, you know, maybe doing it this way instead or being open-minded to looking at a different way of doing things. Yeah, and seeing how it would benefit you and your community. Yeah. When you talk about 
you know, living off the grid. Can you talk a little bit more about what all that entails and maybe, I guess, what the benefits are of maybe, I guess, unplugging from your municipal water supply, energy, all of those things? Yeah, I think there's a negative connotation associated with living off the grid. Um, but to me, I I see the perks and I see the benefits and I'm happy to share those with you. Um, previously, people always uh, associated it with uh, preppers or survivalists or um, something more conspiracy theory oriented. Um, but to me, it's a liberation of not needing to tap into a centralized grid for energy. I mean, imagine being able to, um, like if there was a storm or something where the electric grid <clears throat> was down temporarily and your neighbors don't have running water, they don't have lights, but you have the infrastructure set up that um, allow allows you to still operate as usual, but you're not depending on someone else. Mm -hmm. um, I think also something beautiful about living off the grid is that it's good for the environment. Like this is what humans have done all along. It wasn't until fairly recently in our evolutionary path that it became this like monster of mm -hmm. centralized monopoly structure. Um, so to tap out of that and to provide yourself and the land an opportunity to have a more renewable approach um, is something that I think ought to be congratulated and not mm -hmm. condemned. Now, the thing that's difficult is that for some people, it's illegal to have a compost toilet uh, or to have um, a alternative energy system set up for their home site in many counties. And it's kind of bizarre that those are the laws. <laughs> um, but I think a lot of it comes back to a lack of understanding for these technological advancements, mm. like um, the implementation of compost toilets or incinerator toilets. These counties are looking at it as, well, it's an environmental issue if it's not hooked up to septic. Um, when in reality, it's actually better for the environment to have those other options. It's just a lack of understanding or awareness. Hmm. But um, not to go on a rampage about policy or compliance, but it's hard for people to live this off-grid lifestyle if they're not permitted to do so. Right. And if you're not permitted by the government to have um, the freedom to live this lifestyle, then I think it pushes a lot of people away. Some people have even had... Um, issues when they put in their wind energy and then they get a letter from the state saying this is an unacceptable. So um, anyhow, it's it's something that I think more people would adapt or adopt if the barrier to entry wasn't so high on mm. the expense to set up the infrastructure, but also if it was um, accepted by the local municipalities who maybe prefer that you tap into the grid because it benefits them in some odd way. Right. Um, also, something that the Center for Natural Living is looking at is rainwater collection. So if you're off-grid, you would, of course, be responsible for your own water supply. Um, it's okay to have groundwater and wells in some areas. Like, we're on top of a very rich aquifer here in Central Texas. But if you're living in the desert, you know, that's going to dry up, and it's not sustainable for your environment. Mm -hmm. So rainwater collection is cool because if the rain's coming down, it would evaporate anyway. So you collecting it really doesn't make too much of it. There's no negative ramification on the environment, but with the proper storage tanks, you could have a whole year's supply of water use just from one, you know, big thunderstorm. Mm -hmm. So rainwater collection is a really interesting um, technological advancement that is becoming more affordable and um, allows people to have water that is clean, that doesn't have any of the um, contaminants that are frequently found in uh, municipal water supplies, right. including many municipal waters um, adding in uh, hydrofluorosilic acid, like not sodium fluoride, which is naturally occurring, but, you know, they add this fluoride in that's essentially a byproduct of chemical companies or um, mm -hmm. fertilizer companies. And so, uh, yeah, to know that the source of your water or energy is actually uh, good for you and good for the environment, I mm -hmm. think, is, is really beautiful. Right. And I think that, you know, it kind of uh, goes back to what you were saying earlier about we're kind of at the crossing of a bridge right now. Um, I do think that as, um, you know, as these different cities start 
realizing how much benefit will come um, from either helping to facilitate people installing solar or installing rainwater collection or um, minimally not making it illegal for them to do those types of things, um, it'll catch on and that trend will just keep growing and growing the same way that, um, you know, in the beginning there was uh, maybe like one person saying like, oh, we should use reusable grocery bags. And now it's like this huge thing and it's everywhere. And, you know, there's just this certain, um, you know, lag of time mm-hmm. <laughs> um, for everything to really catch up and then something to really become fully implemented to the extent that uh, it's more accessible for people. It becomes more affordable for the average person. And then as more people, you know, adapt that new way of living and their friends, their families see that it just kind of catches on and hopefully springs up that huge, um, you know, larger change that can really spread across the entire country, if not the world, (laughs) uh, based on the work that y'all are doing. Yeah, it's like a resonance, like when people see that this is happening and the pattern starts to kind of trickle down to other communities and areas and you realize there's a groovier alternative, then why would you not want to hop on that wagon, right? Right, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So Rebecca, can you tell us just a little bit more about what the Center for Natural Living has coming up in the new year and maybe different resources that our listeners can be directed to? Absolutely. The Center for Natural Living is in a relaunch phase, and we have a lot of really exciting projects that are coming to life in 2019. Um, The first of which is the Sustainable and Autonomous Communities Initiative. We have embarked upon a tour to a handful of communities across the world. The first, as I was discussing earlier, was Chadan, Mexico. Um, Although we do have plans to visit a handful of others within the United States and over in Europe. Um, The communities that we're visiting are living this lifestyle that we're discussing, which may seem totally out of the realm of normality for most, um, but they're doing it and they're doing it in a really efficient and productive way. So we want to learn from them and tell their stories and um, really share and highlight what they're doing so that this path can be paved for others and learn from their experiences so that these um, methods of Uh, lifestyle can be adapted more rapidly. Mm -hmm. Um, While we're there, we there as in while we're visiting these communities, we will be um, filming and this will be produced and eventually published on Sovereign Living, which initially was a docu-reality show. There's about four episodes right now that followed um, John Bush and Kat Bleich and their family as it expanded and grew um, and they had a farm in East Austin. And um, their story of, like, going from the normal city lifestyle to uh, having goals of, you know, self-sufficiency. And um, we'll have episode five created, which provides a little bit more insight into their learning experiences and what happened um, in their direction, how they kind of went on different paths but are both still seeking that uh, lifestyle of self-sufficiency. And... um, While we finish that episode, we'll then open the floor, if you will, to other individuals who are on these communities so that they can be ambassadors of sovereign living and share, yeah, and share video content of their, um, uh, maybe their installation of a solar panel or their building of a pavilion or whatever it may be. These different communities we visit will have an opportunity to hold the camera up and share what Uh, projects they're working on. Very cool. (laughs) Yeah. And so we'll see, wow, this community built a raised bed garden or this community over here built a um, really cool adobe structure or an earth ship or a tiny house or, you know, whatever (laughs) it may be, or they built a chicken coop. Mm -hmm. And so sharing their stories and doing so in a very entertaining and also informative manner through our um, docu-reality show, Sovereign Living. And then another thing we're working on in 2019 are um, a handful of events and conferences through Maji Living Workshops. And those, of course, highlight um, individuals who are experts in net zero energy, property acquisition, um, living off the grid, yeah. and how to you know incorporate that lifestyle, um, and also radical entrepreneurship and really you know edgy topics that help individuals have this lifestyle not only... Um, physically, but also financially, and, and how we can create cottage industry and really develop a awesome local economy, maybe 
cryptocurrencies and just all sorts of different topics that afford us an opportunity to build community and right yeah and just kind of this uh, kind of constant learning experience as all of these different places are able to implement these different practices and then kind of look and see well how does that play out how does that play out for the people living there for the community itself for the land all those different things so that then you're um, coming in with a really well-informed um, decision, so to speak, uh, that different communities can make for what they think is going to work best for them. Um, and I love that you're actually putting it even in this uh, kind of docu-reality show um, type of format. Because yeah. uh, I think that makes it really accessible for people. Before I hopped on board at the Center for Natural Living, they, um, they as in John and Kat, um, when they were together, had already started this. And it was like, I remember watching the episodes being like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. This like lifestyle is so interesting and intriguing, um, and their story stopped. Um, and we'll kind of go into that in episode five. They both sat down and thought, well, how can we phrase this or position this in a way that it continues to be really interesting for people? Because to them, it was like a learning experience. They didn't own the land that they had the farm on, and so when the um, land or the leaser, whatever the person that they're renting from, um, you know, said, "Okay, you, you're. This is your last month here." Their entire life got, you know, picked uprooted. up, rooted, uprooted, literally, yeah. And um, then the story kind of stopped for them, and, and so that was a big learning experience for them. And they'll dive into a few others, but we're not trying to harp on the past in that regard. We're trying to learn from it and then go to these other communities and share their stories and learn from them. So that in the future, when everyone involved in the Center for Natural Living decides to build or, you know, perhaps join another community, we've seen the best practices, we've shared their stories, and Mm -hmm. now more people can tap into that and watch or tap into that and start doing. Excellent. Um, Do you have any other uh, closing thoughts or resources that you would like to share with our listeners? I would love for individuals to visit our website. It's uh, centerfornaturalliving.org. We are on a mission to create a voluntary and natural world, and we invite you to join. Excellent. (laughs) Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to come and share all of this with us today. And I look forward to having you on the program again. Thanks, Karina. I appreciate it. Definitely. I want to thank all of you for tuning in to the podcast today. I hope that you will take a moment to check out the centerfornaturalliving.org. You're also welcome to visit wellnessplus.tv where you can find all of our premium content to help you live a healthier life and reach all of those different health and wellness goals that you might have. Thank you for listening. I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and come back and join us again soon. The Wellness Plus Podcast. Copyright 2018. Target Public Media, LLC. All rights reserved.